You're listening to InsuranceRadio.com. We sit down for personal conversations with the top insurance and financial advisors, executives, and regulators. Listen in to learn more about their ideas and personal stories at InsuranceRadio.com. This podcast was brought to you by AD Banker & Company, specialists in licensing your office staff for property and casualty or life and health since 1979. Licensing webinar classes now available so your staff can study and learn at home or right there in your office. For more information, go to adbanker.com. Sharon Welch Blair began her insurance career as an agent for New York Life Insurance in 1987 in Little Rock, Arkansas. As a leading representative of the Arkansas General Office, she was honored in 1988 as the Rookie of the Year and Arkansas's Outstanding New Agent of the Year. In the last 26 years, Sharon has been named the New York Life Producer of the Year 10 times for the Arkansas General Office. She has also been a qualifying council member every eligible year and is a lifetime member of the Million Dollar Roundtable. She received the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors National Quality Award, honoring professionals for their ethics, their service, and their production 21 times. Sharon is also a resident and promoter of the Quapaw Quarter Historic District. She is actively involved in developing solutions to neighborhood crime and rehabilitation. She also owns the award-winning AAA Four Diamond Small Luxury Hotel called The Empress, which is a bed and breakfast located in Little Rock, Arkansas. Please welcome to our program, Sharon Welch Blair. I'm here this morning with uh, Sharon Welch Blair of uh, New York Life in Little Rock, Arkansas. Nice to be here with you, Dennis. Say, we are sitting here in a, in a business that you have called the Empress of Little Rock, which is a fabulous refurbished uh, old home at 22nd in Louisiana. Tell me about this home that we're, we're sitting in. Well, Bob and I have long loved old houses and think of it as a great green project. And uh, we came across this house and I've always thought that a bed and breakfast would just be great fun, although never really felt like I'd be able to do that. But we just kind of jumped off and did. And so the only way I could make it work was put my office down here. My secretary and I doubled as the receptionist and, and uh, on the phone and took reservations for the first four or five years. And here we are. So this is a bed and breakfast, but you also run your, your New York Life uh, and financial services business. I do. Uh, out of a separate entrance. I certainly do. Yes. Uh, well, tell me about uh, where did you grow up? Are you from Arkansas? I am from Arkansas. I grew up in northeast Arkansas in Jonesboro and uh, spent most of my life there, although, uh, as I have alluded to previously, we moved uh, as a child. My dad was a pipeliner. And uh, until I was 14, I'd lived in about 25 different states. But finished high school in Arkansas and consider Arkansas home. Now tell me more about what a pipeliner is. Okay. Because we may have listeners all over the country. Yeah, who don't know what that is. Well, back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, um, the country was laying pipelines to move gas from the south and the southeast to the north. And my dad was a dragline operator. He's the one that ran one of those big cranes that dug the ditches, they put the pipes down, and then covered them back up. So he made a very, very good living uh, with that uh, 
uh, after World War II until mid-60s when I guess they just laid as much pipeline as it felt like they needed. And then it was Alaska or Saudi Arabia, and he just wasn't quite into that. So yeah, yeah. so then he retired and became, became a rice farmer. <laughs> yeah. So you uh, moved from community to community. Uh, so that means you probably started and stopped into a lot of schools along the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What was the... Uh, was it easy for you to make friends? And, and what was your favorite subjects when you when you found yourself moving from school to school? You know, I, I guess I'm a chip off the old block. My dad never met a stranger, and I didn't either. And moving every six weeks or so on average probably aided and abetted that. And there wasn't a subject that I really disliked. I just liked everything and tried a little bit of everything and uh, just really enjoyed it. And it made it a little difficult um, about the time I got into high school. And that's when my dad said, whoops, four, four different schools and the ninth grade kind of messes up the credits. So I guess we're going to park here. And so Jonesboro became the final destination for home. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, what was your, uh, extracurricular activities? I mean, did, you, did you play sports or did you get you know, drama? You know, girls in those days didn't get encouraged to do those kind of things, but, um, I always wanted to be a cheerleader and I finally made it my senior year and I kind of bounced from one end of the gym to the other and, and, Learned a little bit about different sports because uh, they did finally in the later years of my high school encourage girls to have physical education. So, but didn't really get to pursue that until after, you know, I was married and had children, et cetera. So I played tennis for about 25 years and just kind of went back to it in the last couple of years. Yeah. Now, did you go to college? Uh, I did. Uh, I only got to go for a short period of time because in those days, girls weren't really encouraged to do that. And my parents felt it was really important that my brother get an education so that he could make a living. And so I just decided I was going to go anyway. So I got a job and started at night. And I met my husband within a couple of months of doing that and fell madly in love and got married. And then we decided it was more important for him to get an education. So I've got about 40 hours that I've gathered over the years. But of course, when you get into financial services, your education is deep and wide. And I've got a couple of certifications from the American College and, you know, probably get 30, 40 hours of education every year just to stay on top of things. Yeah. And what was your first job? Uh, you got married. Uh, did you work outside the home? Or I did. Did you stay home and take care of the family? Um, I started out in Colson Corporation in Jonesboro right out of high school, and I was a traffic clerk. And actually, I went to work for my future father-in-law and married the boss's son. But uh, I continued working until my husband graduated from college, which was about two or three years later. And then, of course, during the 60s, the, you know, the model was mom stays home and takes care of the kiddos. And dad goes out and does the corporate thing. And Bob was lucky enough to get a, a good job with Southwestern Bell at the time. And so I did that for several years. And kind of inched back into it in different things. Of course, he got transferred every couple of years, so that made it hard to have much of a career, and I wasn't really thinking career woman. I was thinking part-time money so I can put wallpaper on the walls and, and buy shrubs for the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Now your kids are grown. Uh, they are. And uh, do they live here in Little Rock or are they spread around the country? My son lives here and works for Axiom Corporation as a um, security technology expert. My daughter is in Oklahoma and they each have two grandchildren. And so mm, those grandchildren are in high school and college right now. And I get to see them off and on, but they're not little babies anymore. So I don't get to cuddle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's uh, thinking back in terms of your children and things that you tried to teach them. And uh, what were some uh, advice maybe that your mother and father uh, shared or taught you or examples they set that you tried to carry on as a parent? Well, my parents were close to children of the Depression, and they didn't believe in a lot of debt, and they believed your word was your bond, so you did what you said you were going to do, and integrity and your reputation were everything. And so I tried to pass that along to my kids, and, you know, my dad just basically taught me, you know, if you make up your mind to do something and you tell people you're going to do it, then you don't quit. That's what you do, or you die trying. (laughs) You know, we visited uh, a little before we started our program uh, about, uh, you know, the respect and guidance that your dad gave you. But you also mentioned that Mrs. McCluskey. Uh, Who's Um, Mrs. McCluskey? Mrs. McCluskey was my business course teacher in high school. In those days, you came out of high school with some skills, not just an education preparing you for college. And she was quite an inspiration. She was very demanding. But she was also um, a person who honored your efforts, and she she guided us in other ways, not just in school. And uh, I credit her with a lot of the opportunities I had to explore different things because she uh, was the sponsor for the Beta Club, which I was a member of, which was the honor society of that day. And uh, she just was very inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, uh, what experience from your earlier career raising your family do you feel helped you most when you get into the financial services business? You know, um, we went through some really tough times in our life, uh, as I think most people do. It's not all roses. And we just knew starting out that we were going to have to dig deep and stick with it. And we did that. And every time we realized that, yes, we could, that helped me in staying with this career because it was difficult early on. I didn't have a market when we first moved back to Little Rock. And I came home about every other day wanting to quit. And my husband said, you can do this. I know you can do this. And I'd get up the next day and put on my big girl skirt and go out with my shoes and say, okay, somebody's going to say yes, and I'm not going to quit until they do. Yeah. So we're here in uh, uh, Little Rock in your office, and of course, I'm here to visit with you because you're one of the top producers with New York Live. How did you come to get in the insurance business? Well, I'm, you know, I feel like that wasn't an accident, that that was divinely inspired. I was at a time in my life where a lot of changes were taking place, and I wasn't really looking for a career at all, but I was asked to come interview, and I did, and scored very highly on their tests, but it was a full-time commitment, and just wasn't ready for that, so, but as I left the building, I thought to myself... 
this wasn't an accident. Something's going on here. And within six months, things had changed enough in our lives that I needed to find a supplemental source of income to help with my kids in school, etc. And I looked at all the other options, not having had a real job for 18 years, although I sold Avon and a few other things, but that was all part-time. And um, they were offering an opportunity, not just a paycheck. And that I thought, you know, if I fall flat on my face, I can go be a secretary at 18,000. So what have I got to lose? Yeah. Now, were there other women involved in the business that were could be a role model or, or serve as mentors at that time? Very few. There were a few, but very few. And the Arkansas General Office, amazingly, was one of the offices that had recruited several women over the years. And in Particularly, there was one woman there that uh, I just knew just briefly. And so I thought, I'm going to go talk to her and see what she has to say about it. And the first thing she told me was, well, I'm not very good at this. And I thought, well, that's why, (laughs) because you think you're not. But nonetheless, she said, you know, I've been doing this and I made a reasonable amount of money and told me what she made. And I thought, well, my gracious, if she feels like she's not very good and she could make that, surely I can do a little better than that. So I thought it's worth a shot. Yeah. Tell me about your typical day. Uh, you know, what does your day look like when in terms of interacting with clients and and uh, customers? Sure. Well, um, I don't start early. I uh, I'm an evening afternoon kind of person. Uh, and early on, if I was going to do breakfast at the bed and breakfast, I had to do that first thing in the morning. So I started my appointments at 10 in the morning, but I was very willing to work later in the evening just because my professional clients couldn't come to me in the middle of the day. And so I would meet at 5.30 or 6 or whatever it took in the early days. If it meant going to their house and not getting home till 9.30 or 10, that's what I did. I took, I did whatever it took to be successful at it. But the longer I was in the industry, the less I had to do that. And the more I was willing to, you know, do a few other things and not feel like I was going to fall flat on my face. So um, eventually, you know, I built up enough clientele and my day kind of starts with, uh, I try to get in four to five appointments a day. I also made the decision in my sixth year when we moved into this building that I'm not working Fridays. So I work hard Monday through Thursday. Those are focused days on my practice. Friday's my day off and the weekend is when I work with my guests at the bed and breakfast. So when you were starting out, what was maybe the biggest personal struggle that you had in terms of to have to overcome in order to kind of get yourself, your mind right and your focus right on on the things that you had to do? You know, this is probably pretty uh, specific to women, maybe. But in the South, as a child of the 50s and 60s, women weren't taught to confront people with reality. And if you're going to sell life insurance, you have to help them understand the finality of who we are and what we do at some point. And so my biggest difficulty was learning how in a soft and not uh, aggressive manner to confront people with the realities of life uh, and be able to work with them then to set goals and achieve them. 
And the basics are the most important. If you don't have the foundation, the house is going to fall. So, you know, I worked with them on getting basic insurances, getting their uh, um, liquidity in order, because that's a big issue for most families, having enough accessible resources to not have to go tap into things that will mean they're going to lose a lot. Yeah. Tell me about uh, maybe the first sale of life insurance that, uh, that you did and, uh, you know, put yourself back there when that happened and, and what were the circumstances surrounding that? Well, I'm actually going to skip to the fourth sale. And the reason is the first two, one was to a family member and the other one was to the general manager's friend who took me out to work with him. You know, he was trying to encourage me. But I realized that if I was going to be able to do this, I had to make a sale on my own. And I just told the Lord, listen, this is up to you. If this is where you want me, you're going to have to show me I can sell somebody something because I was not frankly convinced. And it turned out to be my neighbor, and he was a contractor, and he really did need some additional life insurance. And it probably had less to do with me and more with his need, but nonetheless, he said yes. And I said, okay, Lord, I think I can do this. We'll we'll stay in there for a little while longer. Yeah. Now, when we think about life insurance, uh, you know, a lot of times in the business, a lot of time is talk. We spend a lot of time talking about the transaction itself, the actual meeting with the client, the getting the appointment. But again, let's look at the other end of that. And, and that is why we're buying the life insurance, why our clients are buying the life insurance. Have you found yourself on several occasions in that situation where you had to deliver the check to the family following the demise of uh, one of your customers? You know, I have delivered a few death claims, but interestingly enough, even though I've been with New York Life almost 30 years, I haven't delivered a whole lot of those death claims. More often than not, what I've found is I've been able to deliver the living benefits to those clients because, you know, People have ups and downs in their lives. They have ups and downs in their finances. And it's been the living benefits oftentimes that's been more helpful to most of my clients. Although when you deliver one of those death claims to somebody who died in their 30s or 40s and and you're working with that family, it's very obvious that if you hadn't been there at the right time in the right place, they may not be able to be where they were today. And that certainly is important. And it's not to be ignored. We, I think we take for granted sometimes the value of what we do. We think of ourselves more as salespeople sometimes than, than as people who deliver when the buck stops. Yeah. What do you love most about uh, the insurance business and the financial advisory business? You know, I think the most important thing to me in the end is that people trust me. They value what I do so much that they're willing to talk to me about all the different areas of their lives and allow me to come become close to them as a trusted advisor. Then that just gives me a, a, amazing uh gratification that they would be so generous to allow me to work with them. That That's um, an amazing thing. If someone were listening to our program and they're thinking about getting in the insurance business or they just started, 
you know, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in a career in insurance? Don't quit. Keep on doing it. You'll find someone who has a need. Um, secondly, realize the value of what you do and focus on your client, not on your needs, because it's obvious when you're working with people, they tell, they know instinctively when you're working for them or if you're working for yourself. So be honest and straightforward and do what's in the best interest of the customer and they will reward you. Likewise, someone who's looking, uh, listening to this, uh, thinking about getting the insurance business, uh, if you had a career, if you had a do-over, what would those things be that maybe you do a little bit differently uh, the second time? You know, I, I was blessed with wonderful education in the training that I was provided. Not many companies offer that. And I did a lot of things right. Uh, or I wouldn't be here, but you know, obviously everybody, if they had an opportunity would do a few things different. And I think the thing that I would have done different if I'd realized now, uh, or then what I know now is I would have tried to network and interact more with professionals such as attorneys and CPAs because they are the advisors for our clients and building good relationships with them ultimately rewards you and your client. And that networking is important. And the other thing I would do is call on more small business owners. Um, small business owners have a lot of need, not much time and oftentimes not much money. And if you can stick with them in the early years and and work with them ongoing, it's oftentimes very rewarding because some of those people will really do very well. And it's, as the Bible talks about casting your seed, you got to cast a lot of seed and you need to do it in a lot of areas, not just one or two. Yeah. Where and uh, what time of day do you do your best thinking when you're kind of planning your day and deciding... Uh, you know, what's important with each day? Yeah, I er, probably early morning and then late at night. Early morning, I tend to get up and I've learned that I need some time just to myself at the beginning of the day. Uh, just to think, I do uh, a meditation, I journal what I'm thinking. And in that quiet time, oftentimes answers will come to me. I've also learned when I've got a perplexing problem to not feel like I've got to have the answer right then. If I'll sleep on it, oftentimes things will come to me the next day. I think just subconsciously your, your mind works on those things when you're asleep. Yeah, what is your uh, your personal uh, creed or rules that you live by? And you try and not just follow in your personal life, but in your business practice as well. Well, uh, integrity is is most important. Um, uh, I like to say that integrity is a gift you give yourself because if you've been honest and straightforward, you can sleep at night. The best thing you can have is a good night's sleep in the end. But the other things that I've always um, thought about, um, never say die. 
one of my cousins told me that at graduation. She put that in her graduation card to me. And don't give up. If it's important, then it's worth staying with. And if you will continue to work and be honest with what you're doing, you will be rewarded. I believe that. And it's worked in my life. Well, clearly, uh, you've had a successful career uh, in the life insurance business with uh, your company, New York Life, and that's allowed you to do other additional wonderful things. Uh, again, what's the history of this bed and breakfast that we're, that we're in uh, here in Little Rock? Well, the house was built in 1888, and the gentleman who owned it uh, was from Ireland uh, originally, and his family immigrated to Canada. He and his brother came down to the South right after the Civil War. There were lots of opportunities if you had money in those days. And Arkansas, uh, right after the war, the Union occupation went on for roughly 10 years. And it was a pretty rough and tumble place at the time. He found great opportunity. I think he was very bright, intelligent, had the backing of his merchant family. So this was about his fourth residence but he wasn't exactly accepted by the local blue bloods. He was probably considered a carpetbagger. And so they blocked him out, wouldn't sell him any land. So he came further south than most anybody had, and he bought this half block and hired a couple of new young architects, very innovative, and said, money's no object, but blow the blue bloods out of the water. So it took seven years to build this house. I'm guessing they didn't have mortgages in those days. It was pay as you go. And when it opened, he made sure that the local newspapers knew exactly how much money he had spent and everything that was in the house. And it was the most elaborate, most decorative house in Arkansas um, for like almost 20 years. And he lived here for two and died. And his family had the house until about 1900, and then it was sold off for various uses. And it was sitting here magnificently, just waiting for somebody to come along and save it. And it was pretty much the key to the entire neighborhood on this end. And until somebody did something with it, the rest of it wasn't going to happen. And it was obvious it was going to take a lot. And Bob and I had, uh, you know, our children were grown at that point, and we were looking for new challenges. And boy, did we find it. It is a fabulous place. <laughs> well, thank you. All of our listeners, check it out. There will be a link on the website to it. Uh, Sharon Welch Blair, thank you so much for joining us on our program today. My pleasure. Thank you for asking. Oh, hi. You're still here. Say, if you are interested in reaching thousands of licensed insurance producers across the country, why not consider sponsoring a guest podcast? If you had sponsored this episode, we would be telling thousands of listeners daily about you and your company. Find our contact information to request prices and availability at insuranceradio.com.